Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited that we are here for another wonderful episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Um, Thank you for listening and making commitment to your learning. We hope you guys are all doing well and you are nice and safe and um, healthy (laughs) because, you know, we still have to talk about that. Hopefully not so much anymore soon, but anyways. Well, that mental health kind of falls into that too. <laughs> that is that is very true. Um, it's so, a very weird time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say mental health is definitely a thing now, and we'll be we'll talk about that in a few more episodes. We we, we have some plans, uh, but we are your hosts. I am Yvonne Brandenburg, um, and I am joined every week by the lovely Jordan Porter. Hello, hello. Because who wouldn't want to talk to me every week? <laughs> I mean, I love talking to you every week, and I, I feel like a lot of our listeners like listening to us talk every week, which is not the same as talking to us every week. Although if people <laughs> are anything like me, you just kind of talk in the car to the podcast, because um, <laughs> I do that all the time, because I'm adorable. It'd be awesome to hear, like if you could just hear someone talking back to us. <laughs> I think that's what a webinar's for, Jordan. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't get to be a part of the last one. Ah, uh, it's okay. Speaking of, um, may as well just jump right into that one. So we did do our first webinar last week, which, uh, oh my God. Thank you to everyone who actually ended up um, being there. <laughs> uh, I, I think we sent out an email and I put something on our Facebook post. Um, book, but oh my God. So we, we use zoom, which honestly, Jordan and I use every week to record our podcast. So every week, never, every week, never a problem. Other than when I forget to like connect my microphone. Right. Right. But that's, I mean, but that's, that's not, that's not a big thing. I mean, it is a big thing, but it's not like it's fixable. Yeah. It was Um, easy. Yeah. And that day I had used Zoom a couple of times to try things out. No problem. Uh, I jump on at, I got there early guys. I swear I was there early. I got there. So it was supposed to start at five here. I got there at four fifty, and I log in and I always test my audio. So I test my speaker and I test my microphone every single time because I'm paranoid because I don't want to just automatically connect because things happen. Well, so I'm testing and I can't hear the speaker at all. And I ran through every single speaker listed. I could not hear the ringtone because that's what that always asks for. And so I was like, oh my God. (laughs) So I close out of Zoom. I open it back up, try again, same thing. And I was like, okay. Well, at this point it's, it's probably like four minutes till yeah, I was getting panic text from you. <laughs> I was, <way>. yes. <laughs> yeah, poor Jordan. She's like driving home after having a heat stroke walk-in. Yeah, my heat stroke dog. That was a police dog. Oh, right. So so poor Jordan thought she was going to be off on time. Ends up like, I don't know, three hours later than normal or something. 
I thought I was going to be off early at like 4.30 and like I literally had my stuff on and I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And then the dog like walks through the door. So then I end up staying like, yeah, three hours late. Yeah, and I was like, I was, it was three hours. It was definitely three hours. If that's not typical like vet med for you. <laughs> like, right? You have plans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So poor Jordan's getting panic texts from me where I'm cursing that nothing is working. I had to shut down my computer. I rebooted it. Of course, because of that, there were updates that needed to happen. So it took longer than normal to boot up. And I'm panicking at this (laughs) point because poor Jordan can't do anything because she's driving. And I was just like, oh my dear God. Yeah. It's not like I could even like step in and be like, so we're starting. Right. I, so uh, anyways, needless to say, I ended up finally being able to get in by calling with my cell phone to log in. Um, I was able to use my computer for the presentation, but all of the audio was through my phone, which is not the best quality when you're trying to do um, a webinar lecture kind of thing. Yeah. So anyways, I sincerely apologize for that. Um, because there were people waiting and you probably thought I just didn't show up, which I swear I was there and I apologize. <laughs> but um, I was able to record the audio with the computer, like, because my microphone worked. So I was able to record with the computer. Um, and the replay is actually the record, like the audio recording from my microphone. Um, and then the video, obviously, from the webinar. So unfortunately, because of that, <laughs> I, there, we didn't get the question and answers on that, that recording on the replay. So we, unfortunately, um, you know, we had a couple of questions at the end that were, that were pretty good. And I, I apologize that that's not included in the replay. But um, I, I swear, I think I gained like five gray hairs from that. <laughs> I was like, really, really. That's all right. I I still see people still signing up for it. So I mean, like, it was good. It was our first yeah, time. yeah. And I think, and it's good for a replay. You know, um, we we talked about going beyond the quick and dirty cross match. So we talked about um, blood types and how to do cross matches. Basically, the stuff you'd need to know before doing a blood transfusion. Um, and that was a lecture that I had, I had had previously. So the lecture part wasn't the problem. It was the tech part. So everyone who waited and then left or everyone who waited and finally was in the actual zoom meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. I, I hope (laughs) in the future it goes easier and it's not a problem, but you know, I feel like, you know, that's kind of part of being a vet tech is things go crazy and you figure out how to work around it. Right. Um, But if you do want to see the webinar, it's still available. We put it up on our, our courses dot internal medicine for vettechs.com page. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. You just register and then you can see the replay and uh, we'll leave that up for quite a while. Cause why not? If you, if you can always go to our main website. So internal medicine for And I think upper right corner, you'll see courses and it'll, it'll take you to the page too. So, um, so yeah, that was the webinar. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then for last week's question of the week, so we talked about pulmonary hypertension last week. Um, and so we had a couple of people respond, which was really cool. Bethany O'Brien, she talked about the fact that her dog actually had uh, pulmonary hypertension and at some point through a PTE. Um, and so I think it was after a blood transfusion, she said, and then I believe, a PTE. Yeah. yeah it, sorry, Which is super Bethany. common. I'm, I mean, like, it, yeah. yeah, it sucks that it happens to a text dog, but yeah, that's like pretty common. Yeah. And then she had some questions about like activity restrictions and kind of stuff related to the heart. And, um, it was very exciting because Christy Garcia, who's, um, if you don't know her, she's, she's pretty amazing. She is our, uh, BTS in cardio. Um, so it was cool cause she responded, which is awesome because you know, <laughs> as much as we know the heart, um, she knows it much, much better than we do. <laughs> she also seemed to be a little thrilled that we both said we would choose cardio next. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I loved her little post in our Facebook group. It was awesome. Um, yeah. so she shouted us out after our shout out for her. <laughs> she, I know she's like our other like best friend on the, on the page. Well, she's been shouting us out a lot on Instagram too. So <laughs> Um, but Laura Roswell discussed a pulmonary hypertension case with which like the dog had heartworm disease, which again, we had discussed in our um, episode, but it's just crazy because heartworm disease is not, it's not known to occur super often in the UK. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it sucks I think for the dog, but it's a cool case. Yeah. And I think she said too, like the dog didn't have a history of travel. So it's yeah, like, it had only been in the UK. So like, of course yeah. I'm sure another dog from not the UK. Right. Yeah. Seriously. From here. It's fine. Yeah. From the South. I was gonna say not so much from California because we, we, uh, again, the only heartworm positive cases I've seen have been animals rescued from other places or. Yeah. And then it's totally from the Southeast where I am. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. My bad. (laughs) Right. Thanks. Thanks Jordan. It's all your fault. Just completely my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then we had our new, well, new member welcome post, which I we're trying to do every week because we do have, um, quite a few people every week joining the Facebook group, which thank you very much for that. Thanks for referring people there. Tanya Bates, who's, who's one of our, uh, members. She's been in for a little bit. Uh, she was the first one to actually welcome, um, the new members to the group, which was awesome. And she, she was very sweet sweet because she always like (laughs) brags about how great we are. I know. I'm like, that's fine. Go ahead, Tanya. Right. We like exactly. it. Exactly. We didn't right. force her to say that. She said that on her own. Right. <laughs> no paid endorsement for that. Right. right. Yeah. We can definitely, we should send the sticker to Tanya. I know. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> and then, um, this is really cool, but, uh, Matthew, I think it's Dimek, Dimek. I'm sorry. I'm horrible with the last names. Good Lord. He is a vet nurse actually in Malta. And I had to, I had to Google where Malta is. I was like, I don't know where this is. (laughs) So it's an island, um, in the Mediterranean. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. I was like, what? You're in Malta. I'm going to go visit you guys. Right. (laughs) So hi, Matthew. Thank you for, for, thank you for saying hi in your post. It's very cool. If your clinic wants to pay for us to come out and visit you guys, we definitely will. We're welcome to do some CE in your clinic. Yeah, exactly. We can do clinic CE in the Mediterranean. (laughs) I mean, it's fine. You can just, it's fine. Oh wait, we can't right now though. Uh, Oh, maybe in a couple months. Yeah. That, and I have to get my passport situation dealt with. Oh yeah. It's a whole thing. 
Either way, we can plan it out, Matthew. Just let us know when. (laughs) We'll make it happen. (laughs) We'll figure it out. And then speaking of international places. Right. You want to do this one? (laughs) Lorena Benman is a third-year vet tech student in Queensland, Australia, and has been referred to us by her tutor, which was crazy to me. As part of their like small animal internal medicine rotation, since they can't go to places and do their hands-on stuff, they actually listen to our episodes in she class. Said during class. And I was like, you mean like during the time, like you're at home and it's during that time or like legit in the classroom? I don't even know, but I was just like, what? I know. Insert like brain explosion emoji. Like, boom. I, I don't, she didn't tell us who the person was. So whoever you are that referred us, like, thank you so much. Cause she said it was a small animal internal medicine tech or nurse. Yeah. I think it's nurse in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, Oh, oh what? So uh, thank you. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. I was super excited to read that. I'm pretty sure I responded almost instantly. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I was like, what? I know. There was a whole conversation back and forth, which was really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that I, I, that was really cool. And my husband was like, say what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, apparently people think we're cool and know yeah, right. things. <laughs> right? Who knew? I mean, we, we read a lot. So. We and do. We, I we know how funny. to research. You think we're funny. So, I mean, it's Shut just up. like, <laughs> dude, did you just like call me out on that? That's not yeah. cool. Okay. So I have to tell you what this is. God, I hate you right now. I mean, I don't, but I do. So this is in reference to, we were just talking before we started recording about the fact that I always listen to our podcast in the car on the way to work because I just, I need to make sure weird things don't happen. And, and it's funny because sometimes I forget what we talk about, but what Jordan's referring to is the fact that I just laugh at the same time sometimes as I laugh during the podcast and I realize I'm really laughy and giggly during the podcast and yeah anyways thanks, I mean Jordan. people still listen to us so I think they find oh, it <laughs> like, like oh she's not horrible <laughs> no 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 I'm just saying people are probably laughing along with us they're not laughing at us I mean, if they laugh at us, that's totally fine too. Yeah, as long <laughs> I'm as okay with that. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> keep listening. Keep sending us to your friends. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, you want to give us an update on your princess pumpkin doodle? Uh, yes. So it, some of you guys may have seen it on the the post that I, I had done. I, I, this is the internal medicine nerd in me. I was like, let's just do this as a case study. Uh, so she, so she had some GI stuff um, and I ended up scoping her. We just did an upper GI scope and got biopsies. Unfortunately, it came back as small cell lymphoma. So, well, which, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I was worried about, but I was just freaking out that it could be large cell lymphoma. Right. So yeah. I am very, very happy that it's small cell lymphoma. Um, and uh, I think I mentioned it last last episode that she was like mm-hmm. dunking her feet into the water that for the most part has stopped. <laughs> I think that was mostly drug induced. Um, she is, we started prednisone and chlorambucil last week. Um, uh, she's, she's very pretty right now. She's obsessed with water. So my husband and I have, have given in to her and she's allowed to drink from the faucet in the bathroom, which we've been trying to discourage her from since we moved in here, but she loves it. And we're like, you have cancer. You can have water. 
right? Yeah. All the rules are out the window. <laughs> yeah, like all the rules are like, it's fine. Drink out of the faucet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's actually, it's it's crazy because we started, so it's Pred Chloramicil on Dancitron. And I did give her some mirtazapine the last couple of days just because she wasn't eating great. And I was like, better living through pharmacology. Um, but she, it's, it's a huge difference. She's actually out and about again. Um, kind of doing more normal behaviors and um, socializing more, which she wasn't doing for the last couple of weeks. So the drugs are working, which is awesome. Thank you to everyone who commented on the post because I did post her biopsy results, um, but she's doing better. And I, I will post a picture, but I, I am using the journal (laughs) because unfortunately the chlorine bacillus every other day. And I can't remember that. I would never remember every other day. I was like, what? You can't do like, yeah. So it's every other day. So I'm using the journal to keep track of medications. Um, and that way, you know, when I'm running late for work, my husband can give medications as well. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, but we're also just kind of keeping track of like vomiting, you know, eating and, and that kind of stuff just to help keep things in perspective. Because, you know, when it, when, t- as time goes by yeah, with any chronic thing, yeah, her yeah you just kind of like forget that. like that things have gradually been changing or, you know, so, um, I think it's hard to see that like once it turns to like more bad days and good days. Yeah, exactly. So you know, like once you hit that threshold. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like it's one of those things where I noticed the last month before we took her in that her behavior had changed, mm-hmm. but it really hit me in the last couple of days, how much her behavior had changed and how I didn't notice it. So, um, we're definitely my, I, I told my husband we were going to use the journal and I was like, oh, I feel stupid for using the journal. And he was like, why? That's why you made it. And I went, Oh yeah, that is why we made it. Yeah. So, um, so I'll be using it, which is, which is kind of nice to have that as a reference. Right. I was like, oh. So now you can be your own like advocator for it. You're like, <laughs> I'll be like, I'll just post like updates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, um, we did have Maxine Curley. She shared one of our episodes. So we definitely yeah. want to give her a shout out and say, thank you. She's a Royal Canaan, um, manager. Yeah, yeah. I think technician. she's a, she's a manager. She was in clinic and now she's working at Royal Cannon, which good for her. Yeah. Know, right. Getting off the getting floor. Off the floor. That's, that's a retirement for a vet tech. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So, and she's, and she's very sweet. She reached out to us and we've been having some conversations with her. So, yes. um, but and then we, we also awesome. have like a bunch of other cool stuff in the works here. So we did a mm-hmm. poll to hear what you guys wanted us to put out there more of. We, we asked basically, what would you want more info on? Like if we yeah. focused on things, what would you want? And we put like the basic, you know, the body systems and, and stuff like that. And, um, endocrine for the win. I know. Um, y'all want to hear more endocrine, <laughs> which we were like, all right, I guess so. I mean, we had done some endocrine, I think in the very beginning, cause we yes. talked about diabetes, diabetes. And, and, some, and Cushing's and Addison's, yep. um, but, you know, we haven't touched on some of the other things. Um, and I think that was before, or maybe that was the first time that we had done like um, a, a big grouping where we start off with basics and then get yeah. more specific. I think that was before we kind of figured out that that would work. Yeah, exactly. So I think we we're definitely gonna... haven't done a basics on endocrine. No, we, <laughs> we just do right in. <laughs> we're like, here's some diseases. Yeah. So, um, so we're kind of looking at, at how 
you know, what episodes we're going to do going forward. And, uh, it's kind of exciting because Jordan and I like just basically oh. planned out the rest of the year. We did. We Which... did. You guys should be super excited. We're so excited because we planned out the literally the rest of the year. Which is not... exciting. <laughs> and spoiler alert, not just podcast episodes. Did you I just... know I'm so excited. Did you just say that? I didn't say what. I'm just saying we got plans, people. We do. We got plans. <laughs> anyway, you also wanted to hear about cardiac, which yes, we actually we're working on still and then the immune system too which we did also plan out episodes for that as well yes so we're super excited thank you guys to everybody who reached out and took the poll a lot of people said that they just selected everything which is fine <laughs> totally cool because now we have a general sense that like everybody wants to hear more of everything which is totally cool there's so that means, many things to talk about that means our podcast will be around for a while it sounds like <laughs> at least through the end of the year Woo! yeah right <laughs> Yeah. So thank you to everybody who reached out and shared the episodes and replied to our, our poll and mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, reached out about Princess Pumpkin and everything. We, we yeah. appreciate all of our listeners. It's actually really cool and like kind of humbling. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy to, or it's good to know that Jordan and I are not total anomalies, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of, um, hashtag I am nerd out there and that, you know, it, it's one of those, you're upping your game, right? You're not just sitting there saying, oh, I don't know about it and I don't care. It, I want to be a better technician for myself, for my team, as well as my patients. Um, and learning about diseases, I, you know, Jordan and I don't know everything. We, we do a lot of research <laughs> for these episodes to make sure that we're getting that information out there. And, you know, we're, we're dorks and we like doing that and we like telling, you know, sharing that information with you to you guys. So, yeah, but um, it definitely makes it more worth it when people are actually like asking for more. <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, we'll get more information on that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, just one of those things to go, to go with, um, the little hint that Jordan kind of hinted, alluded to. If you haven't joined our mailing list, so yes, our, our please newsletter, do. please do because uh, we, be, again, we have things in the works. Um, but you won't hear about it likely until you join the email yeah, list. Yeah, I feel like we're going we're gonna to do some little like hints coming up soon getting some opinions from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to make sure that we reach the right people. Um, so please join the newsletter list, which, um, again, if you, uh, go to our website, uh, it is there. I believe there's also a button somewhere on the Facebook page. Yeah, and, and there is posted a couple of posts like the join us. So, yep. um, Definitely get on there, um, to get our emails and get the information. And then yeah, again, and your input too. Yeah. And just, um, if you do sign up, please make sure to confirm your email too, because we do still get a bunch of people who sign up that don't confirm. And so you're not actually like, we can't, we can't send you emails without a confirmation. So if you sign up, make sure to click the confirm your email so that you'll start seeing the emails. Anything else you can think of before we dive into this week's episode? Let's do it. Good. All right. All right. So this week we are discussing uh, collapsing trachea or tracheobronchial malacia. 
sounds so fancy. Right. So we, when I was, uh, this was the episode that I kind of researched. So there were a couple of references that I used. So one of the ones that I, I used quite a lot was the Journal of Small Animal Practice, which uh, it's, a, it's a great article, tons of information. I tried to distill a lot of it down for us. Um, and then there's also like the VIN um, Veterinary Partner. And I believe I also went to the ACVS, which is the American College for Veterinary Surgeons. They have a tracheal collapse page. So that, that's definitely something as well. So there's a couple of different references for this episode and we'll, we'll share that at the end, of course. So basically the definition of this disease is the, so the trachea, which is known as the windpipe in case you don't know what the trachea is, but basically the trachea goes from the back of your throat down through your neck into the chest cavity and then goes to your bronchial uh, bronchioles and the lungs. Well, in order for the tube that goes through your neck and your chest cavity, in order for that not to be flat and not work appropriately, there's cartilage rings in there. Um, if you've ever seen the trachea, so either in surgery or if you give your dog the trachea chews, which creeps me out, um, you can actually see it and you can see the, the cartilage rings that go around it and that helps support the structure. Well, what can happen is, so there's, it's called glycosaminoglycan. Um, what happens is that it, it, there's a reduced amount of it. So what happens is that the cartilage actually gets really soft and instead of keeping that rigid shape, it just kind of loses its shape, um, which causes the trachea to flatten out. And it usually is in the dorsal ventral area that kind of flattens. So front to back rather than sides. And then that causes the tracheal membrane to be really loose and, and squishes. So if you think of like a tube and like a, again, I, I think of garden hoses for everything. Um, <laughs> if you see it like, you know, normally it's nice and rigid, but then it gets flat and squish and, and, and then things don't flow through it. So that is um, collapsing trachea the actual softening of the cartilage, the, the issue is you can have a focused area where there's just some um, flattening and, and collapse of the trachea, or you can have a generalized um, softening or bronchomalacia or tracheomalacia, which is softening across the, the trachea and also potentially main stem, stem bronchi or lower, lower bronchioles, which unfortunately, yeah, the trachea we can do things about really, but bronchi and bronchioles, like we can't, there's no way for us to support them. Um, we'll talk about how we, we do that in a minute, but unfortunately with, um, interventional practices, we can't support that. So it's, it is medical management for this. So, um, basically the, the tracheal ring rings are what has that cartilage. Um, the, within the cartilage there, what happens is it's kind of, it's, it's weird. So what happens is the, the matrix. So the, the cartilage matrix, the, the foundation of it gets reduced. There's structural changes to that. 
which also leads to less water content in the trachea, which makes it, instead of being nice and flexible and doing what it needs to do, it becomes rigid. And then that can cause the collapse, which sounds weird. It, like, to me, it sounds backwards. It does but, sound backwards. Like, it sounds like it should become, like, flaccid. Like, it's just... Yeah, I think what happens is, like, it doesn't have the the ability to support itself. And so it yeah. just becomes, like, like kind of brittle rigid. Like, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't do what it needs to do, which is really kind of crazy. Yeah, that's um, interesting. So can this typically is a congenital disease they believe um well they believe it is congenital the problem is they don't 100% know what causes it Mm -hmm. um there there's because some pets don't first of all dogs cats and large dogs very rarely will get this it's usually small dogs um, and they, they see that about 25% of the dogs that have collapsing trachea in their lifetime actually started showing signs of it before the age of six months, um, oh, wow. or by six months. Yeah. So that really supports the fact that it's probably congenital, which is crazy. Yeah. It was like six months and you're already dealing with it. Like how much does that suck? Right. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, luckily that's only 25%. I imagine as dogs get older though, it does just kind of degrade and that could be like, it just congenitally like weakens over time. Yeah. So, um, part of, part of the problem is we kind of talked about this. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was the episode where we're talking about respiratory, um, bronchitis and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. The problem is similar to bronchitis is, the more inflammation and trauma, right? The more coughing that happens, the more inflammation and trauma. So it's the same thing with collapsing trachea. The more coughing there is, the more that degrades the the trachea and the worse it gets. So it is a self-perpetuating thing, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. which is why treating for the symptoms is a huge part of, of dealing with these kids. Um, well, that, so, and like, like you were saying, like there's a bunch of other secondary factors that really can just make it finally appear, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know on the list of our like secondary factors, there's like airway irritants. So like, I'm sure dogs who are in like sprays. Like, oh yeah. Um, sprays and like cigarette smoke and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, our chronic bronchitis patients are, or laryngeal paralysis patients, but that occurs so much more on like large breed dogs. Can you imagine though having larvar and then like secondarily getting tracheal collapse? Like how well, bad? So it's interesting down below, kind of in our in our notes, it actually talks about the fact that um, depending on the treatment, some of these patients can get laryngeal paralysis, or they they have some laryngeal paralysis already. And I was like, what? That would suck. You're like, I can't breathe at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That'd be awful. And then you have like your respiratory tract infection. So like, I mean, we Mm -hmm. have chronic pneumonia patients and then like obesity, of course, like we talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. with our clients that like, yeah, it just causes so much pressure. Right. Yeah. And they were talking about, um, the increased fat around the 
the trachea and like in the inlet and stuff like that actually compresses it more. So really it is best to not have them be obese, which yeah, you know, we'll talk and about then, that in a minute. And then tracheal intubation though can cause can it irritate to, it. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's all about I mean, any sort of, yeah, any sort of irritation, mm-hmm. but yeah, when you have tracheal intubation, especially those, I'm going to throw it out because I see it on the list down further, but Yorkies, mm-hmm. like when we're doing a dental every six months, and intubating them every six months, we actually could be causing more damage. Well, and I, and I mean, that's, I, <laughs> it is one of my soapboxes when I'm right? in the clinic is that you want to make sure you're properly, not just intubating, but properly inflating the cuff, right? Mm-hmm. You don't just shove a t- ton of air into the tube and be like, cool, it works. You want to do positive pressure ventilation and slowly put air into the cuff until you seal it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because the problem is, is if you put too much in there, then you could potentially cause necrosis in the trachea and either cause stricturing, or now we've got like like some collapsing trachea because you know so the like necrosis, yeah, and the necrosis, yeah. and and so so they're really you know you want to be very careful when we're intubating, and it's the whole like you know, when you're rotating a patient during like a dental cleaning, disconnect the anesthetic machine and make sure that we're supporting the body and the the tube to make sure it doesn't twist because that can cause problems. So yeah, there are, (laughs) there are, um, tech induced error things Mm -hmm. that can cause tracheal issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and not specifically careful. like instant damage, but yeah, just like, just, trauma. I mean, it can cause instant damage. I have seen tracheal tears yep. from rotating a patient without disconnecting it. Yep. Same here. Um, but yeah, it, it's just try to learn I, how to do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Um, and, and one of the things that um, when we're talking about tracheal collapse too, like we kind of mentioned it above, but, um, uh, the softening of the bronchi because the bronchi also have cartilage in them, but they don't have the rings. So there is mm-hmm. that rigidity that ho- helps hold them open. The crazy thing is, is that in patients with tracheal collapse, about 45 to 83%, it's been reported about that much also have bronchial softening slash potential for collapse which is crazy um, too because i bet you that is more on the congenital side of it like yeah of just yeah. that degeneration of those rings well of yeah. that cartilage mm-hmm. and then the it's more commonly that it affects the right middle and then the left cranial bronchi so like kind of the big ones um which is which is crazy so um Yes. So that is uh, a little bit of an anatomy and physiology on the tracheal collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like everybody knows the breeze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for <laughs> these positions for this disease. <laughs> yeah. So it's middle-aged to small breed dogs. And it's crazy because uh, re- there's reports that about a third to two thirds of all tracheal collapse patients are Yorkies. I 100% believe that. I yeah. 100% believe it's the two thirds. <laughs> like, like I feel, which is funny because I think it's Yorkies and then Palms. Uh, yeah, I would agree, which I see like Palms is, so like then like after that it's miniature poodles, pugs, 
which is pugs. And then <laughs> Maltese's, Chihuahuas, and Pomeranians. But I would definitely put Palm second. Yeah. Out of all the patients, 90 I feel like it's 90% are, are Yorkies and then sure. it's like everybody else kind of makes up, but I, you know, two thirds, I'm not even surprised by that number. No, not, like, yep. not at all. Yeah. And, and again, it's rare for you to have a cat with it or a large breed dog. It's very rare, which again, supports the whole congenital part of it. Um, but if anybody has ever treated that, Put the case on our Facebook page because I would love to hear about that. Right. Oh, could you imagine a cat with a tracheal collapse? No. I. That sounds horrible. I imagine people would probably not like not realize the cat might have collapsing trachea and it's just trying to cough up hairballs all the time. Like I imagine that's yeah. how it would probably present, and it's just like a chronic like coughing up hairballs until they like pass out, and then they're like, "Oh snap!" Right. Oh my god. <laughs> like so true right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with um uh, with these patients we have history um so you you kind of already mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> collapse yeah have you you've have you had patients come in that have collapsed yeah 100 yeah. like come in cyanotic collapsed and like they just sound like they're breathing you know when you like try to breathe and you make the whistle sound like between two pieces of grass yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, and you can just hear that like little whistle, like that's, they come in all cyanotic and like hot and just limp. They're so and, stressed out from, yeah, trying, and you, from trying to breathe. Yeah. Right. And then you like <laughs> got to give them like ACE, like just to get them to chill out and then yeah. just so you can help them breathe. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not definitely not knocking them because I would probably be losing my cool if I couldn't breathe. Right. Yeah. And well, and it's, it's that thing where they get so worked up, they make it worse. Oh, which, definitely. Which like sucks. all that, like inflammation just from trying to breathe hard and like trying so hard mm-hmm. to breathe. And then you get the mucus in there and then you get the coughing and like, yeah. it's kind of like how I feel like when I have to cough and I'm wearing my mask and I'm like, ah, I'm breathing in all my air and I just like can't breathe. And I'm just- <laughs> And, and, and it's like, there's that distinctive, like honking cough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like they do the honking, they have respiratory distress, dyspnea, cyanosis, like it's, it's all these crazy things yeah, that aren't actually that crazy, but they're pretty standard for collapsing trachea because it's always right. like an emergency. Like I've had cases where it's been like incidentally found on x-rays and then you're like, great. Now we can start like discussing the collapsing trachea, but so many times they still go into like a crisis. Mm-hmm. But it usually starts with this honking noise. Yeah, perfect honking noise. That patient, he, oh God, he, he's horrible collapsing trachea. Unfortunately, the owners don't have a lot of funds. Um, so we can't, you know, we, we've talked to them about doing interventional stuff but but we just they don't they don't have the funds for it because it is expensive to do um like a stenting for him Mm -hmm. but he um he came to us because he was at his primary vet um and because he's he's i love him to death he's he's a spaz (laughs) but he was in a kennel at the um primary vet waiting for i think for a dental cleaning or something along those lines 
and he got so stressed and worked out he actually collapsed there and okay. they had to intubate him um and so he came to us for interventional but we were like wait a second <laughs> we haven't done the medical management yet um, yeah exactly and so you know we we've we've done a lot of stuff with him and it turned out he's actually cushionoid as well <laughs> so we were like well you also have cushing so let's treat that because the cushings makes you pant more which causes you know an issue and you're gained weight because you're cushionoid and blah, blah, blah. so it's just this this whole thing but you know every time he comes in like you can hear him walk through the door like he's probably the worst collapsing trachea dog i've ever heard um and we've we've done quite a few stents in our clinic um so mm -hmm. but that goose honking sound is yeah. so incredibly classic for a collapsing trachea pet like it's and one it's of those things where you just hear it and you're like oh you have a collapsing trachea right it's like the <laughs> larpar sound so like yeah, exactly. yep <laughs> it sucks for these patients too because like the triggers are like excitement or stress or exercise <laughs> or eating or like <laughs> anything like normal Living activities life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes these poor these poor yorkies like they're just yeah and and you the the good thing is a lot like some of the medications to, that we use for treating all of this we'll talk about in a second some of them do have sedation properties which is a good thing mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to add things in like acepromazine just to get them to calm down especially in like a crisis situation yeah like, yeah it, it's very We've had to give ACE a couple of times to our patient um, because it, it he just comes in so stressed out and like we, we have to do an ACTH on him. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to the point where unfortunately mom can't leave him because he's so freaked out. Um, so she has to sit in a room while we're waiting to do the I mean, ACTH for the hour. You know how internal medicine is. Like we... I just replaced my bottle of acepromazine that we maybe like used twice <laughs> like, <laughs> right? yeah. because it expired. And I was like, which is crazy because in GP, I don't think I ever threw away bottles of acepromazine. No. Which is and funny so, because we have surgery and all sorts of other specialties. So we don't have the acepromazine bottle on our end of the hospital. <laughs> yeah. We, so it I, keep, CCU. <laughs> I keep a bottle of acepromazine on my shelf, shelf strictly for LARPARS and collapsing trachea. And that's literally it. Yeah. That's it. Those are the only patients that get acepromazine and that's like only if we can't manage it by giving something else first right like we don't like giving the ace like it's just like it's not reversible so no yeah. <laughs> right yeah so it's just it's crazy but i mean these patients have like a history of chronic signs like developing over a couple weeks to a couple months that i think because it's so mild where they might cough here and mm -hmm. there like maybe a few times a week it's not really an huge issue yeah and i was to say i see them in my clinic again you know because they're being referred it's usually years that they've had it oh yeah and now yeah. now the pdbm's like oh i can't i can't manage it and it's like because well, it usually does progress where like medication yeah. is just like you've got to do something different or they're or they're not really emphasizing to the owners the importance of the medical management part, yeah. part of it right and so it's like well let's get you on, on an appropriate regimen to prevent it from getting any worse. Yeah. And hopefully, exactly. I mean, we hope to get it to the patient to feel better, but at least minimize it getting worse. Um, the other thing too, we can, we can feel the tra trachea so we can palpate it. Most of the times palpating the trachea is going to make them cough. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this will cause that, that goose honking cough, um, which is called proximal bouts of coughing. <laughs> and um, sometimes you can actually palpate it and feel like the flattened cartilage rings and stuff like that. I've never felt it, but it, to me, it just sounds horrible. I couldn't imagine just being like, oh, here's some flat cartilage rings right? going it's on. It's like, Ooh. yeah. Oh. And so when we listen to them, so we can listen on the laryngeal area and we can hear that inspiratory airway noise because what happens is a lot of times where the trachea goes into the thorax, you can see that that's where the, the narrowing usually happens is right there because you've got that pressure change. Um, and so a lot of times you can hear that striderous inspiratory sound right at the thoracic inlet because of, of everything. I know. Well, and sometimes like if you're listening though too, you can hear like that click of where it like you mm-hmm. can hear it like try to separate. Like open and, like, and yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Yep. It, it's a very distinct like click, like a snap mm-hmm. of your fingers, like click. The other thing too about it's really important to listen to their chest cavity as well. So thoracic auscultation, um, because a lot of times these kids will have concurrent respiratory or cardiac disease. And there was a study that actually showed about 17% of these dogs actually have a heart murmur um, associated with the mitral valve, whereas only 2% without um, collapsing trachea have um the mitral valve disease. So it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, you know, are they associated? We don't know. Um, is it a chicken and an egg or is it, we're, you know, they just happen to to have it. We don't know. And then the other, the other big thing that we'll see sometimes with these guys is, um, an enlarged liver. And that can be, um, because of like the hypoxic events from not being able to breathe actually cause the liver to have some changes. So hypoxic liver changes, and you may see elevated bile acids as well with these guys. Um, so there's, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not primary liver disease, it's secondary, but we can sometimes see that with, um, tracheal collapse dogs. I mean, I feel like the differentials for this would be bronchitis, pneumonia. Yeah. Any well, respiratory uh, disease, really like heart disease. Yeah. But the thing is, is like LARPAR. a lot of times these guys, the collapsing tracheas have secondary diseases. Yeah, exactly. That include bronchitis and LARPAR da, 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 because their respiratory systems already compromised, you know? Yeah, exactly. Where we've done those chest films and we look a little further up the trachea and we're like, mm, it's collapsing there. But you know, your lungs yeah. also sound kind of crappy. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is crazy because we've had patients that have had chest x-rays um, because, you know, primary vets, they have chest x-rays. They don't have any of the advanced diagnostics. Yeah, exactly. And it's crazy because there's, there's been cases or they've sto- shown that because, again, when we're doing chest x-rays, what were we taught? We were taught a VD and a, le- a right lateral on inspiration right? Like that's kind of like your two view chest x-rays, which is what a lot of places do. Well, even if you do three views, so you got your VD, your, your laterals, your right and left laterals. Again, we're doing all these on inspiration. That's what we've been taught. Well, for collapsing trachea, you want to have inspiratory and expiratory x-rays because you can see 
the changes sometimes on one or the other that you wouldn't normally see because sometimes x-rays look completely normal on these patients, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, cause you have to catch it when it's collapsing yep. and you can't always do that with just radiographs. Yeah. We've done bronchoscopy. I've never seen a fluoroscopy for collapsing trachea, but our bronchoscopies are pretty simple. It's like a tracheoscopy. Cause like sometimes we'll go down in the bronchioles. Like if we're, well, we do, we, Go down into the trachea, we can see it collapse, and if we can get past it effectively enough without causing more inflammation, then we'll look and see if the bronchioles are collapsing as well, mm-hmm. but then that's where we have to stop, but um, that's pretty interesting to see it collapse like on video yeah. like that, but I've never done fluoroscopy for... Um, I haven't done the fluoroscopy personally, but, um, I know one of my doctors, she, she starts with the bronchoscopy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if they need a stent kind of the new, the new training says it's actually better to do it with fluoroscopy than just radiology. Cause it, so we, um, when I first started working at my practice, we had a doctor who did a ton of them. I don't, she just got known for doing them with Yorkies. So we managed, we managed so many of these, but so when they first kind of started doing the tracheal stenting, um, it was common to place them in radiology, mm-hmm. um, and by taking x-rays to deploy the stents and placements and sizing and stuff like that. Well, then they started recommending if you had the option of fluoroscopy it's better because you can see kind of the dynamic and placement and they're able to measure a little better for placing the stent which is interesting because you you can see you know how big does the trachea get to be able to place it and exactly where in real time you're deploying that stent versus if you're doing it with x-rays like I swear we probably I don't even know we would take anywhere from 20 to 30 x-rays oh I believe it during placement because it's like you don't the problem is once you deploy the stent fully you can't move it yeah like you're placing you're you're going down in there and again you're in their airway so this yeah. is, this is, <laughs> it's under propofol, like IV sedation. And it's a like. Yorkie. You're just like, ah, so yeah. So you're giving propofol either as a CRI or, or boluses. The Yorkie who already can't breathe. <laughs> so. And you're in their airway. It's fine. Um, and you're, you're, you're deploying this. So you, you go down there, you deploy the stent partially, you take an x-ray make sure the placement's right. And then you deploy it a little bit more, take an x-ray make sure placement's right. So it's like all these like images as you're going and it's, it, it, I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> like they're very satisfying afterwards, but you know, it's, we usually did bronchoscopy, but the fluoroscopy again you, you, you can place it a lot easier than doing, yeah. doing it with x-rays. Um, and then the bronchoscopy. So we, we, a lot of times did it in two steps. We mm-hmm. did kind of a original initial bronchoscopy. Yeah. That, to diagnose. Yeah. To make sure yeah. one, there's no infection going on because you do not want to place a stent if there's an infection. Um, two, you know, where are we seeing the collapse? You know, is it just in the trachea? Is it in the tra- in the bronchus? Like, where is it? How bad is it? How severe is it? Is, is there a mass present? So you're doing the bronch for that. And then we would, if we saw the collapse, we would measure 
at that point, we would do the measurements um, because we either, we wanted to make sure we had the stents there or we ordered the stents. Um, and so that was, that was one of the, the things we did with the bronchoscopy. But again, you know, if you're doing fluoroscopy, you've, you've done initial bronch, bronch BAL first, see what's going on, and then you do the fluoroscopy, um, ideally. Again, if, if a patient's in crisis, <laughs> sometimes you forego these steps and you just go to placing the stent. But most of the times we can medically manage them. Because we told our, our clients that once we're placing a stent or placing uh, the rings, whichever way, you know, we end up doing it, that's not a per, well, it is a permanent solution, but it's not an end all be all. Like these patients are still going to have coughing. They're still going to have respiratory issues. They're just going to be able to breathe. Um, and it's, it's an end game kind of thing, right? This isn't something that we go, oh, you have a little bit of collapse in trachea. We're going to, we're going to stent you now. Like there's issues that can come up from it. So it's, we call it the, the, the last ditch effort <laughs> is placing things versus treating with all the medical stuff first. Yeah. So we've hinted at it. <laughs> we should definitely talk about medical management first. Um, so again, we talked about this kind of breaking that cycle of inflammation where you've got inflammation, coughing, more inflammation, more coughing, more inflammation. So being able to stop that is huge. The, the first part of medical management is weight control. So we uh, want to do strict weight loss regimen. So I know our nutrition peeps are going to be very excited about this. Right. <laughs> every pet, every time. <laughs> exactly. Um, because, you know, we, we can't they can't go on the 10 mile hikes to lose weight. Like they have to have a strict exercise regimen. That's very controlled mm -hmm. because we don't want further coughing and collapse. So a lot of times, unfortunately, these kids have to lose the weight with weight with food versus exercise. Yeah, exactly. Which is harder. Um, I mean, yeah slower because we well and and people equate food with love so <laughs> me too you know it's it's just what we kind of do and and so we give our pets extra treats because we love them um so this is this is hard for a lot of our clients because they can't go run so what do they do they give them treats yeah and we tell our clients a lot too like not to use uh, collars, but use harnesses mm -hmm. instead just to not pull on those trachea rings and soften them up more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, use of harnesses are pretty, but so many owners nowadays are doing that anyway. And then there's mm -hmm. several, we talk a lot about trying to reduce the amount of like environmental irritants too. Mm -hmm. So cigarette smoke, um, essential oil diffusers, uh, the aerosol sprays mm -hmm. that make your house smell nice. Even though I am a huge fan of all of those things. <laughs> not the smoke, not the tobacco smoke. And not the tobacco smoke. Yeah. The, the I smell say, stuff. Yeah. And, and for most patients, it's fine. But if, if you've got a respiratory dog or cat, I mean, that is something I think a lot of clients don't think about mm -hmm. like, Oh, I use my, my diffuser. Like, well, yeah, well that could be causing more coughing. And yeah. so we, 
the other part of medical management is the cough suppressants and mm-hmm. um, so many out there now. Yeah. I, I feel like we use a lot of um, Hykodan. Hykodan yep. tends to be kind of our go-to for these guys. And then we use, we use like, well, Serenia has an off-label use mm-hmm. for cough. We use Torb a lot. Butorphanol. Yeah, butorphanol. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hydrocodone is probably our go-to. Yeah. And then steroids, because we can use them for anti-inflammatory, as long as they don't have an ongoing like infection, right? Uh-huh. We don't want to, we don't want to suppress their immune system more if they've got an infection going on. So again, we do a bronchial, make sure they don't, and then we can do, you know, anti-inflammatory dose of steroids. Um, yeah. Not, not immune suppressive, anti-inflammatory. <laughs> Yeah. And that goes along too. So you've kind of already talked about it, but managing of other like comorbidities, mm-hmm. like congestive heart failure or Cushing's disease or other respiratory tract infections. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, um, using bronchodilators for these guys, um, to help open up the airways as best as we can. Um, hopefully that happens. And interesting with medical management, there were studies that show that 71 to 93% of dogs actually respond really well to medical management um, for greater than 12 months. Um, and that uh, about 50% of them can actually, you know, reduce the amount of drugs that they're using, kind of weaning them off of it to make sure that there's, there's not issues which is good. So most of them can be medically managed, which is why that's a huge part of our conversation. <laughs> yeah. That's why we start there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we kind of touched on this already, but a severe respiratory distress patient, we need to stabilize them before we can diagnose or evaluate them. So oxygen supplementation, a lot of times we're doing greater than 40% just because they're struggling so hard to get air in that we want to make sure that anytime they do get air in, that it's a high concentration of oxygen to help them. We want to try to minimize their stress amounts. Um, We want to provide a cool environment. So a lot of times we have, um, like we have the Snyder oxygen cage. Mm -hmm. So for the Snyder oxygen cage, what we'll do is we'll turn the oxygen way up. We'll do the climate control, turn the temperature down quite a bit just to help cool them off and make sure they're not having issues. And again, like Jordan was saying, you know, we're sedating them potentially with acepromazine or butorphanol because butorphanol has the anti-coughing properties. So we can give yeah. that IV. We try to start with butorphanol before we give ACE just because yeah. again, I am doesn't like ACE. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we do TORB all the time for these kids mm-hmm. if they, if they need it. If they're severe, sometimes they need to be intubated. Yeah. That, I've only seen a few of those, but man, it sucks. Like when they have to just be intubated in order to like calm them down enough, like intubated and sedated. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like if you're going to do that, then at that time is when you should be trying to get diagnostics or if it's like a common occurrence of the collapse with sedation and intubation needed, then you might as well just go ahead and move forward with a stent. And surgical intervention, like Yvonne already said, was just kind of like, if medical management fails, then this is kind of the last ditch effort is to do this a surgical intervention with the extra luminal ring prosthetics. Like, Well, so <clears throat> the extra luminal is outside of the trachea. So this is, uh, this is how they used to do it. Um, I've never seen one of these, but basically it's, it's surgical and they go in and usually it's in the neck. And so they actually make an incision and make these tracheal like 
fake tracheal rings on the outside and stitch the trachea to the prosthetic to open up the, um, the trachea, which is crazy looking. If they have to do tracheal rings within the thoracic cavity, there is a high risk of mortality or morbidity, excuse me. Um, and so they, they typically, if it's intrathoracic, they won't do it, but extrathoracic. So in the neck, they'll sew in these rings to help open it. Um, the problem with it is <clears throat> because it's surgical and you're going on the outside, it's very, first of all, it's very invasive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is where nerve damage potentially can happen. So you can get laryngeal paralysis because they, um, potentially hit the nerve or the, the rings that they're adding irritate the nerve. We, these patients sometimes will need a tracheostomy post-op just to deal with the swelling and everything, which is crazy. There can also be blood vessel damage, which causes tr tracheal necrosis, which is bad. And then the other thing is like those rings can actually migrate and go to other places. <laughs> just kind of crazy so again a but, lot of complications and severely invasive so now we talk about stenting yeah <laughs> oh my god i couldn't imagine so the intraluminal stenting so this is inside of the lumen so this is that wire or um nitrile stent that gets deployed <clears throat> again it's not curative so we need to make sure that our owners understand even with the stent placed they're still going to cough. Um, they're still going to have some irritation because we put something inside of the trachea. So we need to make sure that they're still controlling the cough because again, the more they cough, the more likely they're going to have stent problems. And that could be the stents can migrate so they can actually move if they're coughing too much. <clears throat> I've seen stents fracture. So the stent actually breaks and you have to place another stent within it. Um, the other what if thing, it like breaks and like punctures through, it can definitely do that. Oh my God. These are not my favorite cases. Like respiratory cases in general <laughs> are just not my Jordan favorite. Jordan hates respiratory and I'm like, it's kind of cool. It is kind of <laughs> cool, but like, I like heart stuff to me is less sketchy than respiratory stuff. I guess I just like, I've had those moments where like I have a hard time breathing and it sucks and like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, oh, I think they're both sketchy when we're talking about heart and respiratory. Again, it's the ABCs, airway, breathing, respiration, or circulation. Yeah, so so if they break, yeah, you can get little pieces that migrate out, which is bad. Um, but you can put another stent through it, hopefully, as long as there's not major issues with it. But this is like a crisis situation. Like, usually if they break they're coming in because there's severe irritation. The other thing that can sometimes happen is, especially if they're not managing very well with medical stuff, you can actually get this inflammatory response where um, the tissue grows through the stent. And then um, you can actually get like to the point where there's so much granulation and inflammatory tissue there that it'll like block the airway. So again, medical management is huge. <laughs> um, the problem too with uh, the stents is we can't stem, uh, stent the bronchus or the bronchioles. So if there's bronchial collapse, putting the stent into the trachea can help, can, put, can help the bronchioles, but it 
but they're still going to have some collapse down there. So again, we're medically managing these kids. Um, and there's a bunch of complications. <laughs> they, both of them need special training to do. <laughs> what? I know. Oh my God. It's amazing. So yeah. So I think with, with these kids, I mean, the biggest part is going to be in client communication is just discussing medical managing and not, cause I feel like some of these clients say, I don't want to, I don't want to drug my dog. And it's like, you're drugging your dog so that there's less damage caused by all the, the coughing. Um, so we want to support the clients and let them know, look, by you giving them the anti-coughing medication or the anti-inflammatory or whatever it is, you're going to prevent there from being issues, more severe issues in the future. Um, or, you know, the potential for a stent, which is depending on where you are, you know, five to $10,000, depending on your clinic and how much they charge. So you know, it, it's, you're, it's, we're never going to cure the collapsing trachea. It's all about managing it and quality of life and, and all of that. So, um, cautions, <laughs> I, I say for our, you know, patients that come in, it's just being very cognizant that they're already in respiratory crisis sometimes. And so we just need to make sure that we're being efficient, minimizing stress, yeah, handle with care like we talked about in one of the previous episodes. Yeah, you know, have oxygen available, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's the tip of the week. Uh, I think this particular episode for tip of the week is just medical management um, and client communication and just uh, knowing that, you know, a stent or, you know, extra luminal prosthesis surgery is not your first line of defense. Because <laughs> no. a lot of these patients are managed pretty well with just med- medical management. Yeah. And now for the question of the week. So this week's question, so uh, how does your practice treat patients with collapsing tracheas? Are you, you know, are you a general practice and you do a lot of communication with medical management? Are you a um, specialty practice? Have you helped with stenting? Have you done the surgical extra aluminum procedures? You know, what, what does your practice do? And then have you ever helped with surgical intervention or stent placement? And, uh, you know, do you have any cool videos? Pictures or videos? Or, yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But I don't know, because like after hearing about stenting, and like all the things that can go wrong. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. Those were, those procedures were never easy. And we basically took over radiology for at least an hour because we set everything you could possibly think of up in radiology. Oh, I'm and sure. And we had the crash cart and we had the trait kit and like we had all that stuff there just in case. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause if, if you're prepared, you don't need it. Exactly. <laughs> Tip of the week. If you're prepared, you don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, I, I'm not upset that I've never done a tracheal stint or assisted one with one. I wish that I could have done some more of them. Um, because the, be the doctor cool to do with one with fluoro. Yeah. I would, I would love to do another one with fluoro. Um, I kind of saw it from a distance, but I wasn't involved. Um, just because I think it'd be interesting to see that and how it's deployed. 
but um yeah all right all right guys well thank you so much for listening as usual um and as usual we are still trying to come up with great new content for you um so please if you have any questions concerns comments anything let us know. You can email us at podcast at internalmedicineforvettex.com. You can talk to us on the Facebook page. <laughs> We're pretty responsive. Like we get pretty excited when people reach out to us. So <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if for some reason we don't respond to you, we likely didn't see it <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. So please just, just try again. I swear we're not purposely ignoring you. Um, most likely it got mixed in with something and we just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and if that happens, we're so sorry. We try, we try our best to find all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But definitely reach out because we are happy to put new content out there for everybody. We're yeah. happy to hear everybody's opinions on things or like suggestions on things. And thank you so much for listening. Like we're, we're super excited that things are finally like rolling again. We took a little dip there during the COVID stuff. Whew, yeah. Um, that was a, a little bit <laughs> harsh. We're, but we're getting back. We're getting back. It's, it's definitely getting back to what it was before. So everything's it's really good. But I think that wraps it up for this week. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. All right. Sounds good. You guys keep getting your learn on. Let us know if you need anything. Otherwise, talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.